Hey mamas, summer is right around the corner and something I'm so glad I've taken off of my to-do list is shaving and you can do it too. With Selfie Skin IPL Laser Hair Removal Handset, you can say goodbye to all your razors forever. It's permanent results in 12 weeks. It's convenient. You don't have to book appointments at the spa or go through painful laser hair removal. It's quick. It only takes about 20 minutes to treat. And it's a one-time cost that will last you 10 years. And the best part is that they offer a 60-day money-back guarantee. I promise you, you will love your results with Selfie Skin. Use code Mimosas with Moms for a discount. The link will be in the description of this podcast. Cheers to a hair-free summer. And let's get started with today's episode. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Mimosas with Moms podcast. I'm your host, Abby Williams. This week, I'm welcoming on Dr. Vyesh Sarathi. Vyesh is an environmental chemist, functional nutrition and lifestyle practitioner, and mother of a child with multiple disabilities. Vyesh shares with us how nutrition sustains our children, as well as helps them thrive. She touches on struggles with focus, behaviors, and other health issues in correlation to diet and nutrition. Vyesh shares her personal experience with her own son and how these changes make drastic changes to his overall functioning. Vyesh helps families learn how to use food and nutrition to increase focus, stabilize energy, and balance moods. You can find her over on Instagram at Dr. Vyesh Sarathi, or you can find her on Facebook at Functional Nutrition for Kids, and be sure to check out the freebie that will be linked in the description of this podcast. It's a six-step guide for moms to improve focus and moods in their child to help them start learning regardless of their label. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. And if you do, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. Your support here on the podcast always means the world to me. And I so appreciate you being here. So let's get started. Cheers. Vaish, welcome to the Mimosas with Moms podcast. I am so excited that you are here joining us today because I know so many of us have questions around how diet impacts our children and then you get special needs um, mamas who are maybe even more curious about this topic. So I'm excited to dive into this with you today. But first, tell me listeners a little bit about yourself. Um, first, thanks for having me, Abby. I, I've listened to your podcast several times, many times before, and I'm a big fan. So thanks for having me here. Thank you. Um, yeah, and so I, I have a, I have, a, I have two kids. Um, my older one, my older son, is 14 years old, and he has Down syndrome, and he's also autistic. He's non-speaking. Um, he communicates by pointing to a letterboard, mm-hmm. and my my daughter, um, she is 11 and neurotypical. So what I do, and I actually got onto this journey by working with my son, I, I, have, I have two parallel fields, things that I do. On one hand, I'm a, I'm a functional nutrition consultant, 
which basically means that I optimize, I help parents optimize um, their children's diets, nutritional strategies, and so on to help behavior, to help learning, to help moods, to help focus, that sort of thing. And I'm also, by training, I'm a chemist. So I also teach chemistry and math. And these days, it's so far the way it's going is that I'm teaching many um, neurodiverse kids, many of whom are non-speaking autistic. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us, I guess, about this link between our gut health and behaviors or our diet and behaviors. What is the link here? There are actually several links. And it's a little sad that oftentimes when you um, go, for example, to your PCP with either a gut issue or a behavioral what looks like a behavioral issue, we, we're often, we don't know the, you know, we're not necessarily made aware of the link. Right. So the gut-brain axis is what it's called. And it's 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 a huge topic of research these days. It's a big buzzword. Everybody's right. talking about it. But to really simplify it, um, there's two things I want to say is that a huge percent, a majority of the neurotransmitters in your child's body are not made in their brain, but in their gut, right? So yeah. that's one thing. And secondly, there is this nerve called the vagus nerve that connects the brain and the gut. So which essentially means that when you have gut issues, that could be inflammation. Um, oftentimes it is inflammation, no matter what it is, it could be infection leading to inflammation. That is going to affect your brain health. This could be moods. This could be um, when we say, I don't like to use the word behavior because it, yeah. it feels like it, it, it feels like a very labeling word. So you have this behavior that's, and it's because there's so much going on behind that, but I'm going right. to use it now just to make that point. Whenever we say my child has behaviors or my, sometimes people will say I have a behavior child or whatever that means. Right. So right. usually that means that my child is moody. They throw tantrums. They are angry all the time, whatever that is. Oftentimes when you kind of dig into the root cause, it usually it's very common to see infections and inflammation at the, uh, what should I say, at the backdrop. So if mm -hmm. you if you trace it back to the gut, and it actually works the other way too. So if you have a brain injury, it's not, the gut-brain uh, connection is not just one directional. If, for, let's say you have a brain injury, that's going to affect the gut too. So a lot of times people yeah. that have head injuries might find that they have gut issues going on later in life. So right. the connection is there. It's very strong and it's it's active all the time. And it's really impossible to to address um, behavior or um, or focus or moods or hyper even hyperactivity and impulsivity that we see so often these days without really doing a deep dive into um, gut health. Yeah. So why do you feel like we still have kind of this pushback in this area, right? Because there's so much research on it. We mm. know so much about this link. We know that, you know, these two things are working together. But yet, I feel like when we talk about behaviors, we don't talk about nutrition enough. What's going on there? Why aren't we doing this? <laughs> That's a really <laughs> good Because then it'd be a really easy <laughs> fix and a lot of people would be out of jobs, maybe. <laughs> Probably, you know, that, that might very well be, yeah, be a good reason. And um, I want to say that it's it's probably many things, but one of the things is that the research is recent. And by recent, yeah. I don't mean in the last five years. I do mean 15 years, okay? So right. that is still recent. But there is, um, it's known that there's a huge gap between, let's say you and I publish a paper, we do research and we have this paper coming out. From there to actually being applied in yeah. in clinical practice right. is easily a gap of 15 to 20 years. 
So what we're applying now is 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 stuff that, especially when you when you're in the medical field, if you're a traditional doctor, yeah, um, then unfortunately you have to wait until a lot of things are so-called validated, so that you're seeing like proofs from twenty different papers. Now on to be truthful, we can't really wait for that with when your kid is struggling with whatever they're struggling with. You can't wait for 20 years, right? right? But I think that's one of the reasons where the research is new. It's a there is a lot of research. So if a doctor were to keep up, I think it might be easy enough to apply. The second thing is depending on where you live, your doctor may simply have not heard about this and there's a lot right. of skepticism to anything new. Right. Um I I there's I don't necessarily think everybody is part of the conspiracy theory, but I definitely think there, there's some of right. that going on too, because then right. it's, there's this insecurity of, oh, I've learned this for the 30 years that I've been practicing it. Now, everything, like you mean to say everything I've learned is incomplete, right? So it's a little right. hard to deal with that. Right. Um, yeah, and I, I do think it's sad. I think it's it's high time that, and we also live, we've kind of, in the past, like if you go like way to the past to Greek philosophers and even even Galileo, which is not which is about 400, 500 years ago, people, scientists used to be they the term for them was polymath. And what yeah. that means is that they had they were they knew everything. So if you were a scientist, you had to know how to draw because there was no photography. You had to know medicine. You had to know um, uh, probably um, well, there was, I don't know if they had no nutrition, but they had no math, they had to know geometry, you, you knew everything. So whatever you learned, it would immediately cascade into 10 areas. But today is the like the, the past few decades is the era of expertise. So my neurologist may know nothing about gut health, and my GI doctor may may know not much about neurological health. And if they're not talking to each other, they that is a big problem here. I know. It's yeah. so true. You know, and I feel like I could probably put myself in this category, right? Where mm-hmm. I'm a therapist, I work with kids, kids, and I feel like my, uh, I guess like profession, my area, my people who are also practicing, we're not really asking questions about nutrition, you know, gut health. We're not talking to their primary care doctor unless their primary care doctor is the one prescribing medication, you know? And I think that, I think that it's probably a missed mark a lot of the time. And so, you know, like what, what I guess I can clinicians, what can parents be doing with food to help with things like focus, hyperactivity, and some of these other mental health issues? Oh, yeah, and that that's a good point to address what you just said before. I think yeah. I think the answer to the previous question and what we're talking about is I think yeah. we we need to come back to this to this collaborative idea. It's not just yeah. it may I not just so be too. you that like therapists that need to talk to nutritionists. Nutritionists need to talk to therapists too. And I know you were saying we're not talking to PCPs, yeah, but even PCPs don't have the full picture, right. especially of nutrition because even they aren't asking the questions. Right. So I think we really need to move into, and there are some clinics that are actually, um, especially in the area of functional medicine, this happens a lot where there's more integration. Yeah. But I think we need to move to where where we have a team that's in conversation with, with each other and the parent, of course. I agree. I wish that yeah. like we were all under like one house, right? Where you yeah. just like went to one place and it was like a one-stop shop. You got all your things done there and they were all talking to each other and you were just like this holistic approach. Yeah, 
I'm, uh, I'm going to give it 15 years. Hard. I think that's going to happen. <laughs> you think yeah. so? I hope yeah, so. Yeah. yeah. I hope so. I hope that it yeah. does like move that way because, you know, you think about your kids and what you want their life and your grandchildren's life to be like. And I hope yeah. it's better than what we grew up with. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's growing pains that people are figuring this out and in yeah. a profession, the professional growing pains. Right. But but I'm almost sure that because this is this model isn't working well. So I think in 15 right. years we're this we will be in that place, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. But coming back to your question, I didn't answer this question about, um, you asked what parents can do for specific yeah. issues. Uh, let me just start here. So there's many things I wanna say, but the most low hanging fruit is yeah. balancing blood sugar. In yeah. the past, I used to work with inflammation a lot. In the past, I used to look at how much uh, inflammatory foods kids were eating because Honestly, uh, a lot of kids these days are really, whether we know it or not, they're sensitive to gluten, dairy, and refined sugar. But as I was working, I realized that there was this upstream cost that I just wasn't looking at that we're just eating, we parents and kids, we're eating, we're eating really processed foods. Even parents that think that our kids are eating really healthy, and that includes me, we're yeah. still, our kids are just eating too many refined carbs and which, and, and a ton of refined sugar, which causes your blood sugar to go in a yo-yo, which quick increase, quick decrease. And if you actually go and Google the symptoms of hyperglycemia, which is high blood sugar, and the symptoms of low blood sugar, which is called hypoglycemia, they're almost identical to several ADHD symptoms. Okay, yeah. so it's it's really interesting. So there's um, women, I, you might've faced this too. I, I certainly have many times that when you've not had food for a while and you know you get shaky jittery yeah. we call that hangry right so right, right. we're upset and ready to cry at the drop of a hat I, I like if once i've had food it's like did i really behave like that kind of stuff right yeah i have really bad hanger too yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so we do that and and so let's so let's let's look at the symptoms so there's yeah. there's a little bit of brain fog there's this inept so if somebody gave you if i said okay come on i'm going to teach you some advanced math now there's no way you're going to be able to learn in that like right. anything even if it was in your field your focus is probably going to be five minutes at that point or any or less than that you're going to be jittery you're going to be shaky so, uh, usually adults find low energy but a lot of times kids can't process that particular sensation it can actually manifest just because a child is hyperactive doesn't mean that they have high energy. It just is yeah. that there's it's too jittery for them to know what exactly they're doing or how they're responding. So there's impulsivity, there's rash decision making, there's there's a lot of anger and whatever we call behavior, right? So this these are things. I mean, we've seen it in ourselves, mm -hmm. and it gets a little amplified in kids because they can't, especially younger kids, because they can't isolate or fine tune that sensation that they're feeling, and typically and this is a, I'm, I'm making a broad generalization their diets are probably more refined than yours so whatever you as a mom are when you're feeling hungry there you can just multiply that maybe by 10 when they are feeling that and if they kind of um, a lot of kids will start their breakfast with cold cereal and milk which is a recipe for this up and down in blood sugar yeah. So, um, so you're basically what's happening is that when you hit that down part of your blood sugar, you feel hangry. And then the only thing that will, you just want something sugary and sweet to kind of 
tide you through that time. And it's really hard to make good decisions. We've all experienced that at 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. Like, right? I still I do this. Yes, <laughs> I do this for myself, like grab yeah. the sugary thing, right? And you're like, yeah, and, and, and like, how hard is it to? And this is going to make me feel good, right? Exactly. And, yeah. and if at that point I came and asked you at 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. if I convinced you that, no, I think an omelet would be good for you, you'd probably throw that omelet in my face, right? So I'm... <laughs> right. So, so you want to address these blood sugar dips before they get started, which means yeah. that the best way to do that is to add fat, fiber, and protein in your child's diet. And in your, if you are experiencing it, this is true for everybody, right? but especially for kids, an easy way to do that is to just kind of double or triple even the amount of protein they're having in the morning. If you don't want to make too many changes, just a really easy way to do that. You want them to to not to be able to tide, not tide the hunger even actually just feel stable for four hours until they hit lunch yeah. and make sure their lunch also has like a decent amount of protein. Yeah. You really, if possible, want to make sure there's no refined sugar, especially in breakfast and lunch. If you do want to, you know, if, I mean, if, if, if there has to be sugar, it can be after they come back from school when they can handle that. Right. So yeah. like, um, Maybe they're usually kids are moving more in the evening. I I don't know how much schools make kids move these days, but um, you know they they can handle that sugar at that point. So right. basically, stable blood sugar. I know it's really simple, and I have I've learned the hard way that this is even though it's simple, this is what we need to be working on because you can say go off dairy, you can say you know eat like twenty vegetables a day and all of that, but the a kid who's having these blood sugar ups and downs can't make that decision. Uh, it's yeah. it's just too stressful to eat anything but the immediate carb rich donut yeah. that's calling their name. Right, right. Is there a way that I guess like we like so I mean if we're if we have a child who's on this like yo-yo who's doing who's starting out the day with a bowl full of cereal and milk I'm raising my hand. I'm right there with you, mamas. Mm -hmm. um, like, how do we, I guess, like make these changes where that's what my child likes to eat in the morning? You know, they don't like eggs or protein, right? How do we help those mamas make those transitions? And what are some substitutes? One of the ways to do that is to find a food that they really like and see yeah. and see how you can substitute a protein for that. So one of the things that often even kids who are picky eaters will eat is waffles. So usually they'll yeah. eat, I mean, crisp foods are generally eaten by most kids. Yeah. So especially waffles, I know that a lot of the kids that I work with may not eat like the Belgian style waffles, but they'll eat the really crisp ego style waffles. Yeah. I mean, if you can make that at home, a lot of times a simple substitute is making them with almond flour yeah. and um and adding maple syrup instead of sugar yeah so that itself is like uh and almond flour actually you can make really good waffles with almond flour i make them all the time and they they taste pretty decent yeah. they may not be good enough for i mean like kids are very uh, discerning i know <laughs> yeah <laughs> so but i think just getting into getting into that honestly the first thing is is modeling yeah and if, if you are eating a bowl of cold cereal i don't think I've done it, okay, but when with right. my son, uh, at the time he was non-speaking, but in, uh, so he didn't really give me that much pushback. I mean, he's still non-speaking, but now he gives me more pushback. But yeah, he, um, I, I, I've eaten whatever I wanted while giving him healthy food. It didn't work that well. So you, you, you have to make those shifts in yourself. So 
at some unconscious level, your child can see that you are more stable, your moods are more stable. But, but, but the simple way to do it is to just find a food they like and look for a, a flour substitute because the biggest um, offender in the blood sugar is, there's two, there's white flour and there's white sugar. Yeah, you can make like a million changes, but I think yeah. starting with these and just replacing with maybe almond flour and maple syrup or raw honey, which is my favorite sweetener of ever. But yeah. that that's a good change. And and if your child is feeling deprived, just just say that come. You can have the cold cereal when you come back, right? So it's just that we're right. just moving it. We're we're not removing it yet. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that that's a good way. Um, what do you feel like are some of the common factors that get in the way of learning? Definitely this feeling of stability in the body. So what I just said yeah. at the risk of repeating myself, definitely yeah. this, it's its very hard to learn when you're feeling shaky in your body. So uh, when I look at blood sugar imbalance, I think of shakiness, but I've already talked about that. So moving on, but but do not discount. So I would say about 70% of, of focus and impulsivity issues are due to that. When you're feeling very impulsive, learning requires you to use a part of your brain that's more rational, that's reason-based, and when when your body's feeling shaky or when your blood sugar is out of balance, you're kind of kicking in a fight or flight response a little bit. Do you so feel like when, they're just not eating enough also? It's possible. It's yeah. definitely possible. Um, usually when just kids like don't eat enough. Foods. Yeah. Yeah. When yeah. there's like in a way of nutrient deficiency. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because the brain. So eating a low fat diet. For example, I would say that kids need a lot of fat uh, for any healthy brain function. You need you mm. need sufficient fat in your diet. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, for sure, nutrient deficiencies. For um, um, and I won't say blood sugar imbalance again. I've already said it, but uh, but you can tell that it's it's like I. It turns out the reason I'm saying it like 20 times is because no matter how much you address it, I feel like you have to keep coming back and talking about it. But but yeah. um, but feeling safe also. So no matter what that safety is, that safety could be internal, which means that um, so like for example, uh, shaky blood sugar is an internal safety because your body is feeling like it's out of food like you said right nutrient deficiency is an internal it's like when you're out of food you we're not we haven't evolved to study when we're out of food right you can't you can't learn that that's not how it works yeah you, when you're out of food you you're in a little bit of a panic mode you have you're looking for whatever that is you may not be aware but you're looking for food or looking for a way to find food but this safety could be um so let's finish up the internal safety factor. So that could be an infection, just not feeling well enough. Yeah. And it may not be obvious. So this is where I would just make sure, go to a functional medicine doctor. A lot of times PCPs don't necessarily check your child's gut health. So just make sure that you have somebody, a functional medicine doctor, a functional nutritionist who can look at your child's gut. But there's also external safety because one thing we don't realize is that for learning to happen, you're... Um, you know, we need, it can only happen when we feel stable and everything else is taken care of. So now you can learn. So that external safety, and I'm not qualified enough to talk about it, but whatever that may be, it may be, um, I mean, you, you know, as well as I do, what, yeah. whether that's coming from school or home or yeah. whatever that is. Right? right. Yeah. So for the body and the mind to feel rested is the first, is the first step to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like, as a therapist, you're dealing it from the outside in. As a nutritionist, I'm dealing it from the inside out. And yeah. they both meet at some point and then yeah. the child can learn. Yeah. 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 
talk to us, I guess, about like your personal experience, especially your son who's on the autism spectrum, who's nonverbal, um, to kind of talk to other mamas who are in same boats. How has figuring out his diet or making changes to his diet, how has that improved or helped or made any kind of impact on behaviors there? Oh, night and day, because night for day. him, uh, yeah. yeah, night and day. And and you, I think you'll find that with um, many kids. So I think re- research says that at least 80% of kids with autism have uh, gut issues. Yeah. So, um, and a lot of times when we find that our kids aren't learning, these aren't necessarily cognitive issues because I've really seldom found a, an autistic child that uh, who has, who's, you know, honestly, I don't even believe in the term intellectual delay because I haven't seen it. That, that's yeah. it. So I just haven't seen it because usually there's other factors that we can address. Yeah. With my son, when he was, uh, I, I recall this incident when he was four and a half, five, and we'd gone to maybe four and a half, we'd gone to India. And he was, um, he was just laughing all the time. And in the beginning, it was fun. But then the laughter would be, it would be like a maniacal laughter that would last for um, hours. Then he would be, uh, he would just be, it was uncontrollable. You couldn't get him to stop laughing. I had no idea what to do. And he had no energy the rest of the time. He would just be lying around, kind of almost moaning and groaning. And he he was, and at that point, we had no communication method established. And he had no energy to even sit up. And when he would sit up, he would start laughing. He couldn't sleep. And I started digging into the research and I slowly found out that uh, candida overgrowth in the gut, which is yeast overgrowth in the gut can cause this because yeast actually can produce alcohol in the gut. And it's kind of, it's like being alcoholic, basically. You're just, you're just, your gut is, you're having an infection in the gut. So we did, um, um, we did treat him with antifungals, which helped. Yeah. And this was, sorry, before we had gone to India for a vacation at this time. And then we went to India and this came back and the antifungals weren't working. And then this was the time that I had started digging in nutrition. And I had to see that I had to, um, I had to really markedly change his diet. So at the point we went cold turkey, we went off gluten, off dairy, off refined sugar. Yeah. And for a short time, we even went grain free, but we brought back the grains. And he's kind of been on that a standard anti-inflammatory diet for a long time. It took a time. It took time for the changes to come, but within a week or so, the his um, his laughter had died down. He could actually sit and pay attention. He was, it it's it's almost traumatic to think about it because he was he was so miserable and and yeah. he was just laughing like uh, I don't know. It was just it was so hard to see him laugh. I remember once going to observe him in school. Yeah. He was laughing throughout the school. His teachers didn't know what to do with him. So. For us, like the big change that happened within six months is that he stopped laughing. He was able to sit sit down. He couldn't even sit. He was just like all over the place. Yeah. And um, he had enough energy to just sit through his day and not just be sleepy and kind of, dr- he was looking like a drugged person. So that changed. And then every time we tried bringing back gluten into his diet, uh, I remember that he would just get bloated. Um, his stomach would be distended. Yeah. Um, and he would just... It, it would seem like he was feeling nauseous. You could just tell that something wasn't, it, it, it wasn't working for him. So it took a while. It wasn't immediate because um, it does take a while for gut healing to happen. The, the laughter went away pretty quickly between, wasn't just the diet, we also needed antifungals, but just the antifungals themselves didn't work. We needed to work with his diet. And yeah. so 
continual refinement for some time, but the but the changes were big. So when I could start teaching him and start working with him one-on-one -on -one and start doing the work and bringing in a communication technique, all of this needed the diet to already be in place because otherwise he didn't even have the energy to sit down. Yeah. yeah. And I know that like, you know, there's probably other moms who are listening or who have been in similar situations, especially with the focus, mm -hmm. you know, where my child can't sit down and focus for more than five minutes. You know, teachers are like, what the heck? <laughs> I don't know what to do. You know, and you have all these moving pieces just trying to get these children to sit down and focus, which have some also feelings about but mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know I think that there are definitely um areas where things like this can be improved um mm -hmm. or is there I guess like one thing I know that you were talking about like gluten being a big part of your son's diet and getting you know cutting back on that cutting that out really helped him be able to sit in a seat and learn mm -hmm. Is there, is that like a one size fits all? Is there something, is this different for each child? It's definitely different for each child. It's, I do think that we're probably, there's enough research to suggest that we'd all benefit yeah. from, uh, from removing uh, gluten from our diet because yeah. the gluten we're eating now is simply not the gluten that our grandmothers and great grandmothers were eating. There's just too much, mm -hmm. the grain itself, <laughs> regardless of whether it's organic or, yeah. No matter what it is, um, we're just we're just eating different food, right? Yeah. So I think that would all benefit from reducing gluten in our diet and yeah. bringing in the benefit of reducing gluten is that you have to work with other grains. So by default, you bring in diversity in your diet, right? So yeah. um, for example, almond, of course, that's not a grain, but you bring in almond flour. I, I do I do a lot of cooking with buckwheat, which is something I'd never even heard of before I <laughs> <laughs> went gluten free. So right. and things like quinoa, millet, that kind of stuff. So you just automatically build in diversity. Yeah. And when you when you eat different foods, you can you grow different bugs in your gut, which is a good thing because you want yeah. diverse microbiome in your gut. So honestly, the only way to get diverse microbiome in your gut, it's not eating probiotic, it's eating diverse foods. Yeah. So yeah. So that that's a big thing. But talking about removal, I would say that um, if your child has chronic gut and neurological issues, I definitely think you should consider removing gluten at that point, hundred percent. Because mm -hmm. seeing effects from gluten removal only you can only see effects when you've completely removed it for three months. But if you're like not quite there, and um, I would just focus on crowding it out and working with other other foods. I know it's a big ask. Dairy is easier to remove because we have excellent dairy substitutes these days. Yeah. I, uh, and if your child is constipated or has yeah. eczema, for example, I would really think that, that that's a great step. A lot of people, uh, you see results quicker with dairy removal. It takes a month, again, yeah. 100%. Uh, when you're in the removal of inflammatory foods, it has to be 100%. Yeah. But you can remove it for a month and reintroduce to see if it, so that's a way of checking. So but dairy, again, dairy is a yeah. contributor for eczema, you said. In some kids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I it's have a often daughter with eczema kid... and I'm always like, I don't know. I have no idea what I'm doing in this park, right? <laughs> like, how do I help her? I definitely see that sugar, uh -huh. sugar is a bad one for her. Like you can definitely tell when she's been consuming more sugar and you know, her cheeks get bumpy and it gets more inflamed when she's consuming more sugar. 
Yes. So I, I think um, uh, there can be, like you said, dairy, sugar, and yeah. also just looking at just getting a test done for gut yeah. health to see if there's any yeast overgrowth in the gut. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeast can often cause eczema or other, um, just looking at gut health in general to see if there's yeah. any other bugs that, bad bugs that you need to be looking at. Yeah. That's good for eczema. Yeah. So yeah, I think dairy and so I think personally the two easy things to remove are dairy and refined yeah. sugar. Yeah. Because refined sugar is not a big deal. You can you can easily put in honey and and maple syrup. I say easily, but I know I know like some kids may not like the taste of that. But that's you can go there. Most kids will like maple syrup. Most kids like raw honey. So yeah. it, it can be done. Yeah. Um when I say refined sugar, I mean white sugar. And um, dairy now there's there's oat milk and of course there's the issue of protein but assuming that you get protein and calcium from other sources dairy is a pretty easy one too yeah. it's not super easy but because the cheese issue is there but there's vegan cheeses that are they're getting better and better when we went uh, when my son went dairy free about 11 years ago yeah. and I, I used to be vegan I'm not vegan now but I used to be vegan many years ago I think this was like 18 years ago the vegan options were horrible. So there's. <laughs> so, Is that yeah, why you vegan, stopped being a vegan? Where you're like, hardly, I, yeah. <laughs> I can't survive like this. Nothing yeah. is good. <laughs> no, they were truly. Um, yeah. Well, honestly, for me, the diet, it uh, didn't suit me at the time. But yeah. Um, but having said that, like that industry has come a long way, both gluten-free really and vegan yeah. options. When my son went gluten-free, gluten-free uh, stuff was not that good either it used to taste like cardboard but yeah. now you have like really good stuff yeah did he like notice i guess when you guys were making these changes and you know at the beginning when things weren't evolved as they are now and you don't have you don't have the great options that are available now did he notice that like ugh, yeah. everything that i eat tastes like cardboard and this is miserable and i hate this he did, but we didn't go for like store-bought gluten-free options. We'd make yeah. them at home. Yeah. So we'd make like almond flour bread, which most of it tasted pretty decent because there was not much, like you said, it was cardboard in the store. So we had to make things at home. Yeah. He, uh, I don't know if he noticed. I'm pretty sure he noticed because one thing I could tell was he was going through a withdrawal period. So gluten yeah. and casein, casein is the protein that you find in milk. They're very addictive, especially yeah. if you have gut issues, the addiction is a little bit more. And what that means is that for a child that needs to go off gluten, going off gluten is not easy. It gets harder the more you need to go off because yeah. it's it's kind of there's there's um, it's well known in the functional medicine community that the more your child is addicted to a certain food, the more likely that they need to go off that food. So it's kind of messed up that way. But he was definitely very addicted to wheat and dairy, and yeah, he was. Um, Oh, he was in severe withdrawal. He would just roll on the floor for, for a couple of weeks. He got off it after two weeks. Yeah. But I didn't know it was withdrawal then. But now when I look look back at it with what I know and what I've learned since, he was definitely yeah. going through uh, a withdrawal. Yeah. yeah. Vaish, tell me what you feel like is the most important thing that parents need to know about their child's diet. It is that diet is much more important than we are we think it is than we hear it is um yeah and it is it it can affect every part of your child's functioning and that one of the things okay going having one bowel movement every day is important let me say this is like having uh in the medical community oftentimes they'll say having three bowel movements a week is normal it's not normal it's not ideal um mm. backed up 
poop is is the worst thing for mood. So this is probably the one thing that is not talked about often enough. You need to yeah. um, watch. Well, watch is not the right word, but you know you need to <laughs> you need to be aware of how frequently your child has bowel movements, if possible. And if you really want to aim for one bowel movement a day, mm-hmm. and I don't know how much TMI can I give here. But, you can um, do it. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so if you look at the, if you if you go to Google and search for the Bristol stool chart, and that is spelled B-R-I-S-T-O-L. Mm-hmm. So you'll actually, it's just a, uh, it's a, it's a picture of how different types of stool look. Yeah. On the constipated end, you, it looks like pebbles. And we've yeah. all experienced this in ourselves. On the diarrhea end, it just feels like water. So you want stool that's shaped like a banana, you know, just smooth without, with almost, like you know when you wipe it off you don't see any residue so that kind of thing that is the ideal stool so i think it's important for parents to know what an ideal bowel movement looks like because that is the reflection of your child's gut health yeah and one one per day at least yeah one to three per day let me put it that way yeah yeah perfect yeah but tell my listeners where they can find you my website is uh, functionalnutritionforkids.com mm-hmm. um all one word and if you go there, there is a um, uh, th- there's a program that's offered every um, a few times a year. It's called Roadmap to Attention and Regulation, and it it shortens to ROAR R O A R. That's where I talk in detail about blood sugar and and everything. But if you want to know a little bit, um, yeah. So if you want to know more about me, you can go to my website, functionalnutritionforkids.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was such an informative conversation. I got a lot out of this conversation. I know my listeners did as well. So thank you so much. Thank you for sharing parts of your personal journey. Um, always appreciative when parents are vulnerable and willing to share. Um, and thank you. And Thanks, cheers, <laughs> cheers to more gut health. <laughs> yes. yes. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you.